glad you're here. And uh, we're going to drop the plow and do a little plowing this week. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's what you got to do. Amen. You got to plow. Got to get the sin out, don't we? We got to get right with God. And uh, what a blessing. I had a lady uh, this past Friday, I preached the funeral of a 33-year-old lady who died of cancer. She'd been going through the treatments and she didn't have any hair. And uh, she had a 16-year-old girl, a 13-year-old boy, and a 5-year-old girl. And I visited her Monday um, at Saline County there in, in Benton, Arkansas. And, and um, she was unresponsive. A week, couple weeks before that, I visited her twice uh, in Little Rock on the, on the 10th floor of Baptist Medical there. And uh, she went septic, and just she just couldn't. Her body was so frail, and she just couldn't make it. And and so anyway, she was one of ten children. It's a big family, and pretty rough bunch, you know. And anyway, I preached at that funeral, and uh, my wife was back in the middle of the funeral chapel, Young's Chapel, funeral chapels there in El Dorado. And there was a couple of ladies back there sitting in the service that were really kind of being ugly and uh, being disrespectful to me and talking out loud and laughing during a prayer and, you know, just being inappropriate at a funeral. You know, my wife was thinking, you know, why would you even stay here? You know, they didn't go down and view the body at the end or anything like that. Just kind of, I don't know, it just wasn't really good. Well, you know, they were saying bad things about me and I'm up there preaching. You know, and I didn't really pick up on it, you know. My wife's about ready to jump up and, you know, take care of business. She didn't like them talking about her man. She didn't. And there was another lady with her too, and she didn't like it either. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the ladies said, That's Weedo. He's a Baptist. And they were saying, like, I don't know why he would be talking like that at a funeral. And the man that was assisting me with the funeral, he said, When I questioned her, uh, she said that you led her to the Lord. And my wife had already checked this lady out twice, you know, and, and she was a little bus kid. She rode the blue bus. All the little girls, they all grew up and they were ladies, and I didn't know, but they all rode the blue bus to Bible Baptist when they were little girls. That blessed my heart. Well, I knew that she was in heaven, and uh, I knew one of her sisters through our jail ministry, and when I was at the, on the 10th floor, I, I said... Uh, I was talking to Felicia, and I said uh, to Felicia, I said, I don't know why, but your wife loves my wife. She just loves my wife. And she's laying there, little frail body in the bed, and she says, uh, it's because she's so sweet. That's what she said, it's because she's so sweet. Oh, that blessed my heart, you know, that here she is laying there on, on what was her deathbed, but she was saying that my wife was so sweet. And I started laughing. And agreed with her, amen. She is so sweet. It's a blessing. So, I mean, I, I, I believe it like this, y'all. I believe that the people in heaven, they want their friends and family to come to heaven. Yeah. Would you agree with that? And I believe the people in hell, the rich man in hell, he wanted somebody to send somebody to his five brothers. He wanted Lazarus to go see his five brothers because he didn't want them to come to this place of torment. He didn't want his brothers to come to hell with him. Are you listening to me? Well, the people in hell want everybody to go to heaven too, so it really doesn't matter whether they're saved or lost. I just know everybody wants everybody to go to heaven. When you die, everybody wants their relatives to go to heaven, not hell. And I did let the hammer down at that funeral because I don't want anybody to go to hell either. 
Amen. I mean, I, I let the hammer down. That's kind of standard procedure. I just give the gospel at a funeral because I don't want people to die and go to hell. It's a blessing, isn't it? You're here tonight and you're lost. We don't want you to go to hell, man. You came to the right place. Man, I'm glad these testimonies of people getting saved by the grace of God. I mean, you're glad you're saved tonight. Amen. Man, I don't know a lot of things about a lot of things, but I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Amen. Amen. I'm like the old truck, truck driver. I'm heaven bound with a hammer down. Right. Amen. I love serving Jesus. Amen. I do. I love serving Jesus. What a blessing. And uh, we had that revival last week, and I think it was on Monday night. We had, Monday, Dr. We had Brother Coral with us Monday and Tuesday night. And on Monday night, we had a 30-year-old man that walked down the aisle. His name's Jake. And uh, Jake walked down the aisle and got saved. We had a 64-year-old man walk down the aisle and got saved. And we had a lady walk down the aisle and get saved at our revival. Isn't that a blessing? And when adults start walking, anybody walks the aisle to get saved. It's a blessing to the whole church, isn't it? And man, that's just a blessing, just a blessing. I was preaching revival the other day for Brother Brandon Graham, and after the services, this 19-year-old young man, a black young man from Little Rock, you know, he, Brother Brandon asked if I would talk to him, and we went in the office after the services, and I led that young man to the Lord, but he was telling me how bad he was and how much stuff he'd done, and he didn't think God would save him. And I said, oh, yeah, God will save you, buddy. God specializes in hard cases. And uh, I was texting Brother, Brother Brandon, and he said, Ken, his name is Ken, said Ken's getting baptized today. Ken got baptized today. Amen. Said he's only missed one service since he got saved. Ken reached in his pocket. He said, he started talking to Brother Brandon after I laid him to the Lord. And he reached in his pocket. And he said, you know, I've been really struggling with nicotine. And Brother Brandon said, well, man, now you've got somebody that lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You've got somebody to help you with that. And that old boy reached in his pocket and pulled out his cigarettes and his lighter and said, man, can I put this in the trash here? And we said, yeah, you can do that. I was worried about Brother Brandon's wife, Jamie, getting it out of the trash, but <laughs> not really, y'all. But anyway, isn't that a blessing? Yeah. And I tell you, I love to see people get saved. I love to see people get right with God. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Get right with the Lord. Well, I enjoyed the good singing tonight. Let's get right to the message. I'm going to cut the message in half. Can I say amen right there? Brother Paul wanted the whole thing. He gave me a big old bottle of water tonight. He said he didn't give me one of them little baby ones. He wants the full dose. Amen. But uh, Ephesians chapter number 4. We're going to begin reading in verse number 17. Ephesians 4.17. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth... Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from from, uh, the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over, excuse me, unto lasciviousness. And lasciviousness... Where you just give yourself, <clears throat> you give yourself over to lasciviousness, and that's like living without self-restraint. Just whatever you want to do, you just do what you want to do. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. You just you're living in lasciviousness. You just do your own thing. And a lot of people are living in lasciviousness without. There's no self-restraint. They don't care what God or the Bible or anybody else says. They're going to do what they want to do. To work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye. <clears throat> 
have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. And the word conversation, a lot of times in the Bible, it's not just limited to our, our speech, but it talks about our, our manner of life, okay? So it's even bigger than, than just conversation. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What's our, uh, uh, what kind of conference is this? Renew. What kind of conference is this? What kind of conference is this? Renew. renew. So I'm probably going to stop by some renews it tomorrow. And when you come in, we're just going to spray you down with renews it. Amen. And we're going to renews you this week. And what y'all got going on down at the church? We're getting renewsed. Amen. Praise the Lord. You be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So we're going to put off concerning the former conversation. We're going to put off the old man. It says, and that you put on the new man. Now, aren't you glad that God doesn't just kind of just, we don't just, you know, I mean, therefore, if any man be in, in Christ, he's a new creature. The Bible says old things are passed away, but then the Bible says, behold, all things are become new. So God just doesn't leave us, you know, putting everything off and nothing. No, we believe in the law of replacement, amen. God says, put off the old, and then I want you to put on the new, verse 24, and that you put on the new, new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Righteousness and true holiness, okay? Uh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., the old preacher man, used to say, do right till the stars fall, do right. He said if it's ever right to do right, it's right to do right right now, amen? And it does matter how we live as God's children, okay? God said, I mean, the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed. It's been charged to our account, amen? I'm glad that I'm not on my own, amen? I'm telling you, all my righteousnesses are as filthy rags, but I have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. So it does matter. I'm telling you, the foremost attribute of God, I mean, he's not, I mean God is love, He's light, he's, I mean, He's a lot of different, He's a consuming fire, He's a lot of different things, but the foremost attribute of God, the thing that's at the forefront, is, is God is holy. Yeah. And you know, this flippant deal, you know, and anything goes, and I'll do what I, listen, that is not, God don't go for that. He don't go for that, you know. No, He, you know, He's the boss. He's the boss, and we're the babies. We're not the boss. You ever seen little kids that they thought they were the boss and they weren't the boss? You know, I tell my grandkids, I'm the boss and you're the baby. When they get, get a little bit bigger, say, Papa, I'm not a baby. You know, oh yeah. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemy. enemies. My cup runneth over. Listen, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. He's the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. What does that make me? Bah. Bah. Let me hear all y'all do that. Bah. Good. Let's do it again. Bah. When's the last time you did that? Amen. 
not lately, amen, only at Liberty on the 26th anniversary, amen. Hey, listen, that, you know, he's the, she- he's the shepherd. I'm not, I mean, I'm an under-shepherd, you know, as a pastor, but Jesus Christ is the shepherd. Amen. He's the chief shepherd, amen. And I'm just telling you, he, he's the potter. He's the potter. I'm the clay. How many of y'all ever played with Play-Doh? Back in the day, Play-Doh. Listen, hey, we, you know, we used to have to be sure and put the Play-Doh back in and put the lid on it so it wouldn't get what? Dry out so it wouldn't get hard. It dries out, it gets hard. I mean, you know, man, boy, when Plato's pliable, hey, listen, God wants us to be pliable, doesn't He? Man, He wants us to be able to, where He can mold, He can mold us and He can make us into what He wants us to be. He's the boss and I'm the baby. He's the shepherd and I'm the sheep. He's the, he's the potter and I'm the clay. Verse 24, and that you put, put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, verse 25, wherefore putting away lying. Putting away lying. Someone said, a lie will travel two miles while the truth is putting his boots on. Liar, 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 pants on fire. Listen, put away lying. Put away lying. Man, my dad, I'm telling you, my dad was old school, but he didn't put up with lying. He really wanted you to be honest. Honesty is not the best policy. Honesty is the only policy. If my dad caught you lying, boy, you would get double, and, and single was bad enough, if you know what I'm talking about. Boy, he just really, really instilled in us, you tell the truth no matter what, you face the music, you know, and, and, and all of that, but tell the truth. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Putting away lying, and I'm going to speak truth now. For we are, are members one of another. Now, we're getting to our text verses tonight. I'm going to preach on this subject for just a few moments tonight. The hidden enemy... The hidden enemy of your family. The hidden enemy of your family is anger. The hidden enemy of your family is anger. Many of you that are here tonight uh, used to have red hair. And some have red hair still. I'm kind of on the back end of that now. I tell them my wife married me for the waves and she's, now she's getting the beach. Amen. But um, <laughs> redheads, redheads. How many of y'all heard about redheads having hot tempers? Raise your hand right there. And, uh, I mean, there's probably a time in my life, if you looked up anger in the dictionary, my picture would pop up. Oh, yeah, anger issues. How many of y'all know, know have you ever heard the term road rage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, man, you really quit preaching now and gone to meddling, amen? Yeah, he sends me all your mail, amen, so I've been kind of going through it, you know, and checking y'all out for a guy here, amen? <laughs> road rage. Only at Liberty on the 26th anniversary would you bad like a sheep and, and get preached the road rage, <laughs> preached against road rage. So I was just driving my chariot really fast, you know. I'm sure you've got a verse to back up your road rage. But uh, so I want to preach to you for a few moments on the hidden enemy of your family is anger. And let me just give you this uh, a little outline that I've got. And I'll just say this by, by way of introduction unresolved anger, unresolved anger is destructive. I mean, we could have some anger, te- we've had some good testimony, we could have some anger testimonies, and we would probably be here till midnight. Y'all know what I'm talking about. With anger, it's bad, isn't it? It rests in the bosom of fools, and, and you know, anger, again, uh, if you hold, hold that anger within you, it's just in your heart, it's really, it's like an acid, it just, man, it mess you up, mess your family up, and I, I just, I don't like, I don't like it. I don't like little, little kids being exposed to that. Anger, anger, anger. It'll undermine your marriage. Anger will undermine your marriage. And I remember years ago, um, 
we had this little bus kids were coming, and, and we had some, uh, several grandmas that were coming to our church. And a, a bunch of the ladies used to work at Cooper Tire, and they were all retired. And, and I don't even know how, uh, maybe through one lady, several more started coming. And, and we had probably like maybe five or six ladies that used to work at Cooper Tire when it was in El Dorado, you know. And, and I, I loved all them ladies. They were just a blessing. But one of them, the lady's name was uh, Corrine, and Miss Corrine started coming. And well, she started bringing her little grandkids with her. And they were kind of like bus kids, if you know what I mean. I mean, they... They come from pretty pretty rough, you know, batch of people. And, and we love them little old kids and all of that. And one day Miss Corrine called me and she was crying. And, and she said, Preacher, said, uh, I, I need you to help me. And I said, what's the matter, Miss Corrine? And she said, well, my, my ex-husband uh, has killed, killed one of my boys. And uh, the son uh, was 37 years old. And uh, his name was David, and David was 37 years old, and the daddy was 57 years old. They were in Chittister, Arkansas, and they were drinking alcohol and anger. It's not a good combination. And they got to fighting, and they had knives, and the daddy cut one of the main arteries in the son's back, and the son's girlfriend was screaming, and they were just out of control, drunk, mean, rough. And uh, so Miss Corrine calls and says, Preacher, could you preach my son's funeral? It was the daddy of all those little kids that was coming to church with Grandma. And I said, Miss Corrine, I'd, I'd be honored to help you out. It was just a graveside service. And you can imagine it's family. So, you know, the daddy's in jail in Camden and just the tension and, and all of that. Well, we did the best we could and loved him and, you know, tried to comfort him as best we could. And then uh, after the graveside service, the dad's brother came up to me and said, Brother, we don't, I know this is a real difficult situation but he said my brother's in jail there and he said I was wondering if you could go by and see him you know and I went to the jail in Camden it was the old jail downtown they got a new jail now but it was the old jail downtown I went in told them what I was there for and they let me in to see him and as soon as I walked in there and told him who I was and and all the, the daddy's 57 years old he just started crying he said preacher I didn't, I didn't mean to do it preacher I didn't mean to do it you know, my heart just, he was just weeping and my heart just went out to him. And, you know, he was sober now and, you know, he wasn't drunk anymore. And, and he was just really sorry that he had, had that, you know, that had escalated to that point and it had happened. And uh, anyway, I wound up getting to lead that man to the Lord, which good can come out of difficulty. I wound up being able to take a Bible back to him, get him a copy of God's Word. But I'm just telling you, anger, it's very destructive. It's very destructive, and we've probably all gotten in the flesh and said things and did things and threw things and all kinds of stuff. You know, we've all got our anger stories. Amen, we do. And I'm just telling you, uh, anger is a bad, bad thing. And the hidden enemy of your family. Let me give this little outline. Number one, we must refuse anger. We must refuse anger. Refuse to harbor anger uh, in your heart, okay? Look at verse number 26 now. The Bible says, Ephesians 4, 26, Be ye angry and sin not. And sin not. You know, we may get upset and all that, and we're, you know, where we're not crossing boundaries with God. We're not, it's not sin. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. But then it says, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That just means we got to get this anger issue settled before we go to bed. 
Are y'all with me? We got, I mean, I'm serious. The Bible is very clear. It's very powerful. It's the Word of God, and it's very clear here. And we've got to refuse anger, okay? Refuse to harbor anger. And, and again, refuse to help anger. Look at verse 27. When you get angry and you let the sun go down upon your wrath, the Bible says neither give place to the devil. So when we go to bed angry, we're giving place to the devil. We're giving ground. We're giving jurisdiction. You know, we're not talking about a Christian being demon-possessed, but I'm telling you, you can give ground to the devil. I don't want him anywhere around my place. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God. I want God permeating my life and my family and our church. Amen. I preach the devil out of everybody. I don't want to, you know, leave the door open and let him come in. You know what I'm saying? By harboring anger in my heart. Wow. Neither give place to the devil. And again, when you allow anger to dwell in your hearts, you're helping Satan by giving him room to work in your life. Please don't do that. By the way, unresolved anger can fuel other sins. You get mad. You get mad at your wife. You get mad at your husband. Oh yeah, you can, you can, you can do, you know, because you're mad. You, know, you try to do things that you, to get back at them or something like that. You know, it's because you're angry. Immorality, things like that, because you're angry. You blow off your marriage relationship. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Are y'all listening to me? Please do not do that. I'm trying to help you. I love you. But unresolved anger can fuel other angers, other issues, other sins in your life. Number one, we must refuse anger. Number two, we must resolve anger. We must resolve anger. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. The Bible says, Ephesians 4, 30, And grieve not, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Please listen to me. I don't want to have anything in my life, preacher, I don't. I don't want to have anything in my life that would grieve the Spirit of God or, or quench the Spirit of God, pour water on that fire, you know. Man, you know, I'm like, set my soul to fire. Lord, set my soul to fire. I don't want to, you know, grieve the Holy Spirit of God away from my life, my family, my church. Right. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Take me, break me, mold me, make me. Spirit of the living God, Fall fresh on me. That's what, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. Man, I need God. I need, Lord, uh, in the midst of the years in wrath, Lord, in wrath. God's angry with the wicked every day. Talks about that in Psalm 7, you know, down in verse 9 or 11 or somewhere along in there. But God is angry. He never gets used to wickedness. God doesn't. Now, I'm just telling you all, listen, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You just keep dabbling, keep messing around. With your pornography. Keep messing around with those secret, so-called secret sins. Hey, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, beholding the evil and the good. God sees it, y'all. We ain't getting by with being love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Yep. I'm telling you, God sees everything, man. You're not getting by with nothing. Nobody's getting by with anything. Right. I got preacher friends, and man, they messed up. They went to prison. Yep. It don't matter if you're the preacher. That's pretty sad, isn't it? All the collateral damage in families and things like that when preachers go to prison. It's sad, preacher. It's sad. And by the way, I don't throw them under the bus. I went to the ninth floor of the Fort Worth jail to see a preacher friend of mine. He's a good man. 
old bus fell on him and he was underneath the church bus and he dug his way out and he crushed some bones and he'd had a background, you know, with pills and all that and during the time, he, you know, he just got messed up again. He got back off track and did something he shouldn't have done. He can't pastor no more. But he's on the ninth floor at the Fort Worth jail before he went to prison. I went up there to see him. He had no idea. It was Brother Weedo. He thought it was an attorney coming to see him. But you know what? His wife and his children, they all said, Brother Weedo, you was the only preacher. And I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal, but I, they said, Brother Weedo, all his friends, you was the only one that ever went to see him. And it meant so much to his wife and to his children. And he's out now. He's preaching revival down in Texas. He came to that, to that, to that revival meeting. God, you know what I mean, man? He's, he's back up. He can't do what he used to could do, but he's back up serving the Lord. Isn't that a blessing, man? I'm glad I didn't throw him under the bus. I didn't want to end that. I'm not into that, by the way. You know, yeah, I always thought there was something about that person. I've been praying for them two ladies at that funeral. You know why they act like that? Because they need Jesus. Because they're lost. When there are two thieves on the cross, yeah, they railed on Jesus. One of them got saved. Amen. Yeah. I'm just saying to you, man, I don't know about you, but I need help. I need God to help me. Well, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You've got to guard my heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Listen, you know, you put garbage in your mind, you put garbage in your head, you put garbage in your heart, garbage in, garbage out. It's the way it is. Out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's hard to stop cussing. If you ever cussed in your past, it's hard to give up cussing. Cussing's a hard one. You get down in your heart, it's hard to get that mess out of there. You know, wham, you hit, your, hit the wrong nail, start speaking French. Well, hey, that French is coming out of your heart. That wasn't, oh, that slipped. or No, it didn't slip. It's in your heart. Hey, how about this? Wham. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Whew. Yeah. Hey, I'd rather that be coming out than the other. Guard your heart. Guard your mouth. Look at verse 29. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You know what the old grandmas would say if they heard you say a dirty word? They'd say, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. How many of y'all have heard that little statement? How many of y'all have experienced that? Raise your hand right there. Yeah, God bless you. I see those hands. Amen. <laughs> That's a lot of hands, Pastor. Lord's really working. I feel a kindred spirit here. <laughs> yeah, we've all had our mouths washed out with soap. Wow. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. If you can't say something good about somebody, then just don't say nothing. Just don't say nothing. But that which is good, it says, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. And they hear, boy, a word fitly spoken. Man, everybody's hurting. Boy, just a, a, kind, uh, just a kind word. Means a lot, doesn't it? Means a lot. Just a little word of encouragement. Man, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Let me give you the last one tonight. So number one, we must re- refuse anger. Number two, we must resolve anger. Number three, we must replace anger. We must replace anger. Then, well, what are we going to replace anger with, preacher? I'm glad you asked. We're going to replace anger with humility. Anger, we're going to replace our anger with humility, okay? 
And, and again, we're going to be, look at verse number 31. We'll start at verse 31. It says, let all, I've got that little word all circled in my Bible. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, there's our word anger, and clamor and evil speaking, watch this now, be put away from you, be put away from you with all malice. And malice is just like evil badness, amen, uh, like People commit crimes with malice of forethought. What does that mean? They knew exactly what they they planned it out. Well, listen, we got to put all that evil. We got to put all that evil beside beside. Okay, put it to the side. Now look at verse thirty-two. We're going to replace it with this: and be ye kind one to another, and be ye kind. Well, I don't like her. And be ye kind. She makes me sick. And be ye kind. Her cat's in my flower bed. And be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. Tender hearted. Tender hearted. Forgiving. Watch this now. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Well, why would I want to do that? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Hey, we didn't, deserve, we didn't deserve forgiveness, but God forgave us for Jesus' sake. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I've told the story here before, but I'm telling it again because I'm doing the preaching. And it's a good story. My son-in-law, Matt, was a knucklehead of all knuckleheads. My son-in-law, Matt, was bad, y'all. He was bad. Matt, when he was a boy, his daddy was going to Dr. Harold Seitler's church, a Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. A great church. And old Dr. Seitler was a great man of God. He'd been in heaven now for years. My, my son-in-law was 11 years old, and they were sitting in the balcony of that big church. And my son-in-law said to his daddy, Brother Tony, he said, Daddy, he said, I'm sick at my stomach. And so he said, well, come on, son. He took him down out of the balcony, and they got on the front porch of the church to get some fresh air. And my son-in-law said to his daddy, he said, Daddy, I'm really not sick at my stomach. I just need to be saved. And my, grand, my, my son-in-law got saved by the grace of God on the porch of Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. But you know how it is. There's probably some of us that are sitting here that haven't always lived for God like we should have my son-in-law, in the process of time, his mom and dad worked Brother Roloff's and different ministries where they were helping wayward people. My son-in-law worked on the dairy at Brother Roloff's homes there as a boy growing up, as a teenager. Well, anyway, um, I don't tell the whole story, but in the process of time, my son-in-law got away from God. I mean, like, unbelievably away from God. And him and my daughter were on two very different roads. And it really, honestly, my daughter-in-law's coming. I mean, my daughter's coming to church. My oldest daughter, Janine, but my son-in-law was not coming. Very seldom. Every once in a while, he'd come, kind of. But you know, he was letting the kids stay home with him, and they were just on two different sheets of music, so to speak. And I didn't know if they were going to make it in their marriage. You know, just, just, man, it was bad, real bad. And a lot of verbal abuse in the home, and never physical abuse, but a lot of verbal abuse and just being mean and so forth. Well, my oldest grandson, you know, they have four children, uh, Dylan and Jag and Roman and Maddie, and uh, they had those four children. 
And, uh, well, anyway, uh, my son-in-law was 35 years old, and you've heard me tell the story before, but he began to have chest pains. And so, uh, 35 years old, he worked for an HVAC company there in El Dorado. And, and uh, so he was off work with his heart, you know, and they were trying to run these tests and all that. And so I just asked him, I said, man, I said, why don't you go to youth camp with us this year and help me ride herd on these boys. And we had Brother Burton Gates that y'all helped Brother Burton uh, start the churches there in, in Philadelphia, in the inner city of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. And Brother Burton was our camp speaker. And so, I, I, you know, my son-in-law loves Brother Burton. And Brother Burton's real rough, and he kind of connects with rough people. And, and uh, well, anyway... So my son-in-law agreed. I told him I'd sponsor him. I'd pay his way to camp, his family's way. And, and they went to camp. My son-in-law went to camp. And we had a great week of camp. At that time, I was the camp director. They had a, we had hundreds of kids there. It was, it was awesome. Well, anyway, we had a little trio of girls, college girls that were singing. And I don't even know what happened, but a couple of girls from over here on this side. I was sitting on the platform. A couple of girls from Jackson, Alabama, Brother David Webb's church, they walked down the aisle. It, it, it was just those girls were up there singing. There wasn't no preaching yet or nothing. It was kind of just, a, just they just came down to pray. Well, you know, I said, uh, I said sing, sing another song. And, man, all of a sudden, I mean, people just started coming from all. It was just spontaneous. People just, God just, God just blew in there. And God moved, and, and man, people were getting up and, and, you know, coming down just by the groves. And I just kept telling them, girls, sing another song. I heard one old preacher say, it's hard to rake leaves when the wind's blowing. <laughs> Amen. And God blew in there, and I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I thought, man, this is awesome. You know, people was crying and going getting other people, and man, they just, I mean, the altars were filled. That went on for 45 minutes. My son-in-law weighed like 320 pounds. And he was sitting in the back, and it was like King Kong coming to the altar. You know, I mean, he come running down that aisle, and it was like, boom, 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 you know. And I was like, wow. And he hit that altar. Listen to me now. I mean, he was out there, y'all. He's humanistic. I mean, his thinking, everything was off track. But he wept his way back to Jesus that night. And a bunch of our guys, the men of the church gathered around him, and, man, it was awesome. That was probably seven or eight years ago now. My son-in-law, one one, he started a construction company, and he's had some bumps in the road, but God's blessing his company unbelievably now, and they're building all kinds of stuff in El Dorado. He's one of the strongest givers in our church, missions and the whole nine yards, man. He's, he, I mean, God got him. Well, during that time when my son-in-law was backslidden and away from God, my grandson, my oldest grandson, Dylan, Dylan's like six foot four, you know, and Dylan grew up, and and, man, Dylan didn't like that. You know, he didn't like the way his daddy was treating his mama. And my grandson got some, some anger in his heart, some hatred in his heart toward his daddy. And my grandson was a really good basketball player. You know, and at the Christian school level, a lot of people, not many guys can dunk. And we would throw the ball to, you know, they'd throw the ball to Dylan and watch Dylan dunk. Well, it came time for the preseason tournament in Malvern and my my grandson had kind of been ugly and he was rebelling against his daddy you know and, and so uh, his dad said he couldn't play in the preseason tournament and that was a big thing to my grandson it's like his junior or senior year you know and so my wife said honey you're going to have to get with Dylan because I think he's going to run away I think he's going to run away from home and we love our grand grandson you know so I got Dylan in my car and I said Dylan I know you got some anger in your heart toward your daddy. I know you got some hatred in your heart toward your daddy. But I said, Dylan, you've got to accept what you can't change about your daddy, and you've got to change that bitterness to forgiveness. 
You've got to change the bitterness to forgiveness. It's a little acrostic, accept what you can't change. The A is accept what you can't change about yourself, about others, you know, about your circumstances. And then the C is change bitterness to forgiveness. And then the T is trust God. And my grandson had heard me teach and preach that, and he said, Papa, I've done that. I've forgiven him, but it keeps coming back on me. It keeps coming back on me. And I thought, hmm, I didn't really know what to say. So I said, well, let me call my preacher friend. I called Brother Marvin Smith there in Fort Dodge, Iowa. He does a lot of counseling. And I told him, I said, Brother Smith, I got Dylan here, told him what was going on. And he started talking to Dylan. Brother Smith said, Dylan, he said, did your daddy get right with God? And he said, yes, sir. He said, well, that's good, isn't it? And he said, yes, sir. He said, is your daddy go to church now? And he said, yes, sir. He said, well, that's good, isn't it? And Dylan said, yes, sir. And he said, is your daddy not mean to your mama no more? And he said, no, sir. And he said, well, that's good, isn't it? Man, he went down this long list of things, and, and everything was yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And then Brother Smith explained to my grandson, he said, Dylan, you accept what you can't change. You change the bitterness to forgiveness. You trust God, but then you've got to minister to your dad. You've got to, you've got to do something for your daddy to show him that you love him. And he explained what he was talking about. And he prayed with my grandson. And we got the car. we were in the car. We just headed to El Dorado. We walked in, and I told my grand uh, my son-in-law that story. My grandson, my son-in-law's a big bruiser. You know, he's rough. And uh, he started crying like a little baby, like sobbing, like uncontrollably weeping. I'm looking at my daughter. My daughter's looking at me. She's shrugging. She don't know what's going on. I just let him cry. My son-in-law is very smart. Are you listening to me? He's very smart. And I told him that story, what, what Brother Smith told Dylan. And that's why my, my son-in-law started crying. And I didn't know it, but my, my, my son-in-law had hatred and anger in his heart toward his daddy, Brother Tony. Brother Tony got saved over in Georgia out of a real rough bunch, and he didn't know how to love. And he kind of abused them, whipping them and stuff like that. He was, he was over the top. We don't believe in that. You know, it's child abuse when you t- t- take it too far. You know what I'm talking about. Well, man, my son-in-law had anger in his heart and hatred in his heart toward his daddy. Now, listen to me. Brother Tony, my son-in-law's daddy, he got neuropathy in the lower extremities of his body, and he lost the feeling going up. And when it got up past his his waist, he, he began to have accidents because he couldn't tell when he was going to the bathroom. My son-in-law didn't put his daddy in a nursing home. He took care of him. And my son-in-law changed his daddy's diapers. And Brother Tony was diabetic and he got, went blind. Preacher, he couldn't see. And so he's crawling around. He's blind. He's crawling around in diapers. And one day, Brother Tony said to my son-in-law, to Matt, he said, son, he said, I know you got some anger in your heart toward me. I know you got some hatred in your heart toward me. But son, I want to thank you for changing my diapers. And my son-in-law said, Daddy, I don't hate you anymore. Daddy, I don't hate you anymore. And my son-in-law realized that it wasn't until he changed his daddy's diapers that he was ministering to his daddy that God gave him release and he forgave his daddy. Amen. Are you listening to me? I'm just telling you, we got to get this anger and, and the bitterness and the wrath and the clamor, we got to get that out of our hearts. Let me show you something else. That grandson, that day when all that went down, that big old grandson and his daddy, they started hugging each other. 
they started hugging each other. Oh, listen, you're talking about revival. You're talking about revival. When they started hugging each other, it's like my grandson found it in his heart to forgive his daddy. And God did a miracle in our family. That grandson, that grandson and my son-in-law, they went down to Tyler, Texas to a revival to hear evangelist Chris Dallas preach. And they stopped in Shreveport, Louisiana, and they bought suits. And those, these are not suit guys. They bought suits. And they look like attorneys, you know. They're all decked out and everything. That grandson that was contemplating running away uh, surrendered to preach and went off to Bible college. He just graduated from Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City, over 406 students, I think, this semester. But in May, my grandson was the number one preacher. The number one preacher. We knew he could preach. We just didn't know if everybody else had enough sense to know that he could preach. He's a great young preacher. Brother Jamie, could you come here for a minute? I love Brother Jamie. Could you come here for just a second? I've known Brother Jamie for a long time. I just want to give you a hug. My grandson and my my son-in-law was hugging. Hugging God was working in their lives. And God did something really special. But they had to humble themselves. They had to humble their, you know, I mean, that hatred and that anger and all that, they had to let that stuff go and they had to minister to each other. Thank you, Brother Jamie. I just need to hug. Amen. I'm done tonight. I just think we need to get down here to the altar and ask God to help us. I don't know what your problem is tonight, but I need God to help me. Let the piano player, Sarah, can you come play for us? Yeah, let's just, let's just come on down here to the altar. If you're here tonight and you're lost, you need to be saved. We'd invite you to come. But I think just we get down here and we can pray. Lord, just pray. I need God to help me and to revive me. I thank him for helping my family. He's been so good to me. Piano's playing softly. We're not counting noses. You can pray in your seat, whatever you feel led to do. If you want to come down to this old-fashioned altar, it's revival time. It's revival time. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Piano's playing softly. Amen.